0: We have them here, who uh, were our congregants in the show where Rabbi Kimchi was the rab for 25 years in London. You know the congregation was? Neresol. Neresol. The Neresol congregation in London. Some of you already know him. Uh, we had the shuls of having his son JJ here in the yeshiva. He was here a few years. Did the army here. Um, but I wanted to tell you... Something special about Rabbi Kimchi. Yerushalmi in Kedushan, the first parak, has a statement of Rav Gidol. Rav Gidl says that if you're going to quote a halacha or any teaching from any of your rabanim, you have to picture your Rav standing right there in front of you. You have to picture him. Otherwise, You're not allowed to tell us his teaching. You can tell us your own thought, and it has whatever ramifications of who you are. But in order to invoke the authority and the significance of whom you're quoting, you have to picture them standing right before you. Rabbi Kimchi was Zohar to be in front of. Zalman Orbach Rokhaim Yeshua Shmuel Shabbos And have any conversation with him, the quotes, the stories, the lessons they imparted to him just flow out, and you could see and sense that he sees their demos standing before him when he quotes when he quotes them those who came on Hoshana Rabbah to the yeshiva's mm-hmm. event there in Heichal Shlomo. Rav Timchi spoke and Derek Agav just brought up and I saw Rav Eliel little story. His whole life everything, every conversation I was looking to sit next to him at a wedding of a Gush alumnus a few weeks ago and stories Roshlomo Zalman, Rokhaim Shmulevitz This is Kolkulo, and you get the sense that that's who he has right in front of him. And therefore, we are lucky to have him here to address us on our topic here today. Without further ado, Rabbi
1: Thank you very much for a warm introduction. A few familiar faces here, and uh, many others as well. It's wonderful to be here in the yeshiva, and I enjoyed immensely listening to your Rosh Hashiva speaking about the power of Talmud Torah. And I'd like to pick up really where he left off. Indeed, the learning of Torah, if it's done properly, is not an academic experience. The learning of Torah is a transformational experience and after you've been immersed in Talmud Torah and been in the company of Talmudic HaKhamin you're a different person. It's not just that you've gained some information, gained some skills, gained some data. That's what happens in college, that's what happens in university. You come out with information you didn't know beforehand. In a yeshiva the learning of Torah is something else complete. And it takes a bit of a while to realize that. Because one can think that it's simply a study. You know, There is, for example, in universities, there are Jewish study departments where they study, seemingly, the same texts as we study in Yeshiva. They may have in front of them the same text, but what they're doing is not what we're doing. What we're doing in the Yeshiva is Talmud Torah, and what they're doing is Jewish study... <coughs> And the two have got <coughs> almost nothing to do with each other at all. Because the learning of Torah is, as your Rosh Hashiva explains and touched on beautifully, has within it certain powers which engage your lave and your mayach, and ultimately engage your neshama. The, the neshama of a member of Klael Yisrael is somehow triggered off and enhanced by engaging in Torah, and even if you forget the details, in years, years to come, you might forget the details of this tasas or that tasas or this sugya or that sugya, but the effect of the learning is never, is never lost. And I'd like to just speak a little bit about this and give you a bit of an insight into how this works. And there are, in fact, three reasons to learn Torah. There are three reasons. And because there are three reasons to learn Torah, there are in fact three different types of shiurim that you will listen to here in this yeshiva and you will listen to in fact your whole life. I'm going to give you a checklist of these three different types of shiurim and every time you go to a shiur, from now on for the rest of your life, when you come out of the shiur, you're going to have to tick one of the boxes. It was either a type A shiur or a type B shiur, or a type C Shear, or it was a waste of time. Maybe, maybe it was a waste of time, either because you didn't understand the rep, the teacher, or whether the teacher didn't understand you, or maybe you just weren't on the wavelength, or maybe you were schluffing. There could be lots of reasons why it was a waste of time. But there are three different types of learning, and these three types of learning reflect three different <laughs> reasons to learn Torah. And in fact... In order to maybe just give you a way of understanding this, I'm going to I'm going to base it in a tefillah that we say every day, every morning of our life. We say this tefillah: Alav Rabba. Avton R' Hashem and then we say: Yobina Malkeinu Ba'avur Avi Seinu Shebatchu V'Chol Ba'Talamdeim Chukei Chay. The first type of she'ir is a she'ir of Chukei Chay. Chuk means how to live the do's and don'ts, the moral and immoral, the a v'heta, how, how to engage with life. Ba'talam dayim Incidentally, Parshat Lech Lecha is the beginning of that. Right Before that, there weren't really any Because i Chazal give us a Masairah of Sheva Mitzvah B'nai Nayach. But Sheva Mitzvah B'nai are simply a minimal moral code for mankind they're not really how to live a life of how to live a life following the rules that wants to put down it's only with Avraham Avin and suddenly he gets the Brismila and with the Brismila starts if you like, Halachic Judaism begins with the Brismila And with that, there are two things that accompany the Brisbane. First of all, there is V'ayisi lecha lelakim. Suddenly, the connection to HaKadosh Baruch is a personal connection. Prior to Avram Avinu, Inu, HaKadosh was the B'yre And he was the Yisoyed of nature, and he was the source of all being. But he didn't have a Keshe Ishi, didn't have a personal connection with any human being. Suddenly, the language in Parshall's as I'll say, is something which is far beyond the Bohre Oda. It's personal, it's a connection. That's the first thing that you get in the Chukechayim. And the second thing, interestingly, which is subject really for a separate Shia, is Eretz Israel. Because of the Brismila, I will give this land, the land of great Israel. If anybody ever asks you, where is the first time that we find that the Jewish people have a claim to Eretz Israel, the answer is, that's the first time that Abraham Obidu is told it, and he's told it in what connection? With the beginning of Chuk So the Chuk Echai requires of us to live a certain type of life certain type of behavior. That's what Chuk Yichayim is about. It's about deeds. It's not actually about the mayach. It's not about our understanding. It's a way of living Chuk Yichayim, right? And indeed, this is type A of a Shia that you will go to in your life, type A of a session of learning Torah. You'll sit down and you'll learn Hilchah's Tefillah, Hilchus B'cholov, You'll learn Chuk that is a type of Shia. If you can come out of a Shia, and you've learned one Halacha, that's it, you can tick the box A. That is the Chuk that is the type of learning, and that already connects us to HaKadosh Baruch in a personal <laughs> way. Suddenly, we are Aseirot Tzai Noi that we are using the and Hashem as our and We're going to do what He wants us to do. And there's nothing more personal than that. I'm going to be speaking, if I have time later on, about a little bit about the Maharal Prague. <coughs> so one of the of the Maharal Prague wrote was called Tiferet Yisrael. And in the first eight chapters of Tiferet Yisrael, is the most brilliant description of what does it do to a person to do a mitzvah. To do a mitzvah. It's not just to follow a rule, but actually it is, it does, it, it does something to the neshama of the person. You're not the same person anymore. And indeed in the bracha that we make before mitzvahs, we use the phrase asher kiddushonu The bracha is not just about the doing of the mitzvah, it's about the kedusha of the doing of the mitzvah. Which is a whole different dimension. And that's transformational, and that's type A. But then Abu continues and says, Avino Abu Rahmanam Rachim Aleinu, Alaynu, the same Hovin, Haskil, Shmoya, Lilmad, suddenly eight, a list of eight qualities. The primary among these eight is Lahobin or Lahaskil. The second type of Shia. And the second type of learning has actually got nothing to do with chukhechayim. As the Rosh Hashiva said, you're learning Baba Basra. You're unlikely to find in Baba Basra, in the halachas, in Hilchas Sheinim, chukhechayim which apply to you on a day to day basis, or even if ever in your life. It's unlikely that people who are not going to be engaging in Rabbanus or Dayanus will ever have to pass a halacha on my boy Baha'i Aro, what is your claim to this land? To judge different claims to the land. So why are we learning this? So this is a this is a question that Rosh Hashiva was dealing with. But it's a very, very profound and interesting question. Right, what is it about Kalmu <laughs> Tehra? The ul Ulahaskil of Terah, without any practical application at all. For people who've never been to a yeshiva, it's very difficult to explain what you're doing. Have you ever tried this? I wish you the best of luck. But if you have, I don't know, a relative or a friend who is, who is, who is culturally distant from learning Torah, I say, well, what did you learn today in the Beisah Medrash? And you try and explain the tosahos about, you know, legal claims to land ownership. So they'll say, well, wait a minute, this is just basically, you know, you're, you're just taking a law degree. You're studying laws about land ownership and, 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 and confl- you know, conflicting claims to, to ownership of a piece of land and what is chazaka, all these sort of things. What's that going to do with Rabbinish? What's that going to do with Judas? Why is that a, transform, a transforming experience? Why is that? It's a very, very interesting question. And the answer is there is something about learning Torah, that when you're engaging in learning Torah... You're not just learning academic law. You're not. You're learning the thought patterns of the revenge. This is a very deep idea. which takes a long time to grasp. But you're learning what? how does a Baruch Hu think about the world. That's what we're learning about. And by learning about it, you're actually shaping your own grey cells. You're shaping your own thought patterns. So when you come out of learning, you've been immersed in learning for days, for weeks, for months, for years, you come out and you have a certain way of thinking about life, which is actually based on the thought patterns of the Torah, which is the m- ki'ilu, or kavi'yachol, is the mind of our Kodesh And that is something which, can, which transforms a human being completely, but that's only if we engage in Lahovin or lahaskil. The deeper you can go into it the deeper you can understand the svara. What's the svara? What's the kasha of Teisvus? Right? What is the teret of Teisvus? And what changed between the kasha and the terrets? What, what changed? My sova or my komashmala. What was the nakuda? What was the svara, which Teisvus thought in the beginning, which changed in the terrets? And if there's a second teret of Teisvus, what, what was wrong with the first one? But the second one somehow manages to clarify this deep level of Svara, this deep level of Iyun, where you have the privilege of learning here in this wonderful yeshiva, this can transform your way of thinking. And you're coming out, you haven't just learned hilchos Shechemim, you haven't just learned hilchos Chazaka, cheskas you've learned how does the Kodesh Baruch Hu want us to think? So, so Type A is a Shia of chuke Chaim. how HaKadosh Baruch Hu wants us to behave. Type B is a type of Shia which teaches us how does HaKadosh Baruch Hu want us to think? What are our thought patterns? What is the way we assess life? How do we look at life? How do we analyze life? How do we analyze ourselves? This is Lahavim, Ulahaski, Ulishmoyah, Lilmo Lameid, Lishmo, Velasos, Elkayim. That's true, it is isn't connected to the Kayim, but that's not the essence of it. Incidentally, just as a footnote here, in terms of the mitzvah of Talmud Torah, for women, type A, there's a full chiyuv for women to learn Torah of type A, of Chuk Echai. But there isn't a chiyuv for women to learn type B, of Hobbin and That They don't have that chiyuv. If they do it, they're doing a mitzvah. But they, ha- they don't have that chiyuv. If you have a look in the, the Shabbura, in the Shulchan Aruch, in Hilchus uh, Brachas, I think it's Semen Memzayim, Memches, which speaks about Birkas So the Shulchan Aruch Paskans, women have an equal chiyuv to say Birkas atira as men do. And the Mephoshim ask why is that? Why should a woman say Birkas Atira in the morning if she doesn't have the chiyuv of Talmud Torah? And many of the Mephoshim say, the Galna mentions, because since she has the chiyuv to learn Teira of chuke Chaim. She needs to learn how to keep Kashrut, how to keep Shabbos, right? How to keep taras and mishpoche. She needs to know how to keep uh, Yom Kippur and how to keep Pesach. She needs to learn Torah because she needs to know what to do. She has a full chiyuv to learn Torah to know what to do. <coughs> Therefore, she makes a bracha because of A man has got an additional chiyuv of a different type of Talmud Torah, which is called Lahavin or Type B, where you where where, where you attain the svorus of the Tarah, the fault patterns. Of the Torah, and that can transform a person's mind. And then you get to the third, most remarkable form of Talmud Torah, and that is the Ha'ir in Menu Sech, the Libenu All this tomorrow morning, please God, when you say Abba Rabba before Kriya Shema, say it a little bit slower than usual. You know, let's do it for fifteen <laughs> seconds instead of ten seconds. And try and think about this year, what I'm saying to you now. Try and follow it through. Starts with the Chuk then it's Lahavid al Haskil, and then it's the Hoer, the Neinu, the the Dabek, the bayu It's about Dveikus, as Rosh Hashiva spoke about. It's about Dveikus, as Rabbi Chaim Velojan speaks about in Neve Shachayim, That through learning Torah, you can attain a certain type of Dveikus. And that's very difficult to explain. Khan has to use all types of the terminology of the mukubolim in order to explain it. And I'm not going to go into that for the moment. But one thing I can say, I want you to focus for a minute on this phrase of hot air inenu. What does that mean? So that's got to do with light. Let me talk about that just for one moment. If you've learned Parsha's Barathees just recently, right? two weeks ago you learned Parsha's bracious. So one is struck by the fact what is created on day one? Only light, nothing else. We going R by nothing else is created but light. Asks Rashi. but oh, wait a minute, we know what light is, and the solar system is only created on day four. So what sort of light is being described on day one? How did the world have light without a solar system? Pshat, a pshat question. When you're learning Sheshis and Ebrachis, what sort of light is this? Rashi brings down very briefly, there's a lot of material both in the in, in the Medrash and in the Zeha. <laughs> a lot of material about this says that actually the light of day one was hidden, and it's referred to by Chazal as Or Hagonus, the hidden light. Right? Why was it hidden? Because the light was a light of Ruchnius was a light that transformed people into spiritual beings. And that was hidden away, because the Kadesh decided that the world was not ra'oi to have that light. And Rashi, so Rashi says, where did it go, that light? It went to Olam Haba. And indeed, in the Gemara, which speaks about what is Olam Haba, we don't know much about what is Eul of Haba, but the phrase used by Chazal is, Miziv <laughs> Hashchina. Ziv is light. Ziv is radiance. The Ziv Hashchina was the light that was created on day one, was the Or Hagonus? That was the light, which was then hidden away, and then the light that we're familiar with, the light from luminous bodies, come is the light of day four. That's the light of the solar system. Right? But Chazal say, it's true that light was hidden away, but there were moments and there were certain mechanisms that Kedush Baruch brought into the world which allowed certain rays of that light to come into this world. So for example, the Medrash speaks about Baalos Ches that Aaron Akkot, when he lit the Menorah and the Beis HaMiktosh, the light that came from the menorah wasn't the light of ordinary radiance that we're familiar with. It wasn't the light of physics. It was the light of Yom Rishik. And that's why Khazal had this phrase, Yerushalayim o'yroi shal'oilam. Why was Yerushalayim o'yroi shal'oilam? Because everybody who came into Yerushalayim, when there was a of Emiktash, the first thing they felt was that the light here is different. There's something different about this light. The light from the Nora came out through the windows of the base of Mikdash, and the whole city was Oroy Shalai. There was light. The second thing that they, they noticed was the fragrance of the Kateris. <coughs> so can you imagine visiting, when you went in Naliya Lareg, to, to, to Yerushalai, imagine that, that. You were immersed Priyantaf, in the light and the fragrance, and you came out a different person. Because the Oir of the the, the, the of Yom Rishon had that particular power. Says the Zaya, and that's what this tefillah is based on. The Ho'er in name Vaseiro Secha. The Baruch hid the light of Rishon in the Torah. The Torah contains a potential Oir, a potential light. And indeed in a few different places the Gemara speaks about there's Talmud Torah and there's Oiro Shel Torah is the effect it has on us. The lahav the lahaskil is the way our brain perceives the ideas of the Torah, the svarus of the Torah. But the o'yurosh of already goes straight to the neshama. That's already the dabik libein of Mitzvah And we have a tefillah regularly, right? One of the things the khalim say to us every day, yo'er Hashem ponom elecho bichonecho. What is that light of your air? That light is the light of your Murishan, which is buried in the Torah. And if one is, one is immersed in it you feel you're in a different place. <coughs> As was mentioned <coughs> by my very, very warm introduction of which I'm very grateful. Indeed, when you're in the presence of if you ever get a chance to be in the presence of Gedoli Yisra, and one of the reasons one comes to a yeshiva is to be in the presence of people like your Rosh Hashiva and, 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 and Tamidich achamim here in this place, of Medrash, that their lives are really, they're living on a different wavelength. And I remember very clearly living, spending many years in the presence of Roshleim Azam and Erbach, Zechot and you felt that he was actually, he was completely a normal human being and very easy to talk to and a, very, and very, a real mensch but he was actually on a different planet. He was living somewhere else. And when he made made a bracha, I remember once the father of one of the boys of the Shia came, this was like the the top Shia in Kolteira, so Shreemozama gave the Shia a daily basis, and one of the fathers of one of the boys who wasn't himself learned wanted to come in and sit in on the Shia, he came in and sat in, and I could see he didn't really understand what was going on shir at all. He sat in and he just wanted to sit in the chair. So I asked him after, did you enjoy it? So he says to me, to be frank, I didn't understand what he was saying. But when he made a shahakal near Bidvara on his glass of tea, he says, I've never heard a shahakal like that before. <laughs> he says to me, I've never heard before a shahakal like that. Not that he went, J-! he wasn't shouting about the shahakal, but he just said it in a way that he was speaking to the rabbi Nishlo. And if you were tuned in to him, you could pick that up. A simple bracha. That was the giveaway. This guy, who was a, not a learned person, but he, he, he felt it. And that was not the lahobin or lahaskil. So this fellow who came into the Shia didn't get any chukechayim from the Shia, and he didn't get any lahobin or lahaskil from the Shia. But he got type C. He got v'hoir He felt for a moment the orosh or and that's what we learn, for example, when you sit and learn Musa, you learn Hashkafa. even when you learn Tanakh properly, you're not getting Chuch and often you're not getting Lehoven or But you are getting V'hoir Eneinibusus. You're getting some of the light out of the Torah. And that is something which is uh, uh, priceless. And so there are three reasons to learn Torah, to know how to behave, to know how to think, and to light up your neshama. Those are the three reasons. And every day, you should engage in a bit of each, and that will transform you over time. <coughs> I must say, looking back on all my years of Rabbonus, I've met maybe thousands of Jewish people, maybe hundreds of Rabbonin, and there are lots of different categories and different types of people, obviously, now, one of the most, you know, there are some people who are Shemri Mitzvahs and some people who aren't Shemri Mitzvahs, okay? But there's another category, and that is there are some people who are in learning their whole life, and there are other people who aren't, even among Rabonim. even among rabbonim colleagues of mine who are Rabonim of Kehillus, but some of them are just rabbonim of Kehillus and they are basically administrators and social workers and organisers and and they'll say a vaut every now and again in the Drasha, but they're not in learning. They're not immersed in learning on a daily basis. And other rabbonim are. And the difference is Yomon Valaila. The difference between someone who is in learning his whole life and someone who isn't. The difference is Yomon Valaila. And that should be your aspirations. Here in the yeshiva, to pick up some of the Chutechaim to learn some halachas, to pick up some of the svaras, to, to engage in the hoyer enaynum serasecha, and to have a goal. And the goal is that every day of your life to connect to Talmud Torah, as much as you possibly can and different, of course, different lifestyles and different activities. I think there's going to be a panel about this. I'm not involved in the panel, but it is just something which should be at least a goal. You've got to have a goal in life, and that's what the yeshiva should give you. And maybe, who knows, maybe this, ish, this first year, for those of you who are first-year boys, I came to yeshiva, I must tell you, with an intention to stay one year. But uh, I thought it was fantastic. I enjoyed it so much. I asked my father for a second year. And after the second year, I asked him for a third year. Right? And so on and so forth. <laughs> Throughout the 1970s, which, of course, for you, gentlemen, is uh, ancient, ancient history. You probably think there were horses and carts in the streets uh, in the 1970s. No, we didn't have cars. We didn't have any cell phones. We didn't have any, any Internet, if you can imagine that. right? But in the 1970s, I spent about 10 years in yeshiva here in Yerushalayim, both of Yerushalayim, and later on with Rebchaim Levitz. And during that time, I was really on a different planet. Later, on, I went to university my first degree, got my doctorate in London University, but I was, the transformation that I had in the, in, the, in the yeshiva life, in the yeshiva world, and having contact with Tamid HaChomim, was something completely priceless. Instead, just as a footnote, that when, when I moved from years of yeshiva into university, one of my difficulties was that I was accustomed to learning in a, base, in a roaring Beis medrash. And the base of Midrash was talking and yelling and shouting at each other, and that was the base of Edrush. And then you come to university, you come to college, and you sit in the library, and it's a graveyard. Like, it's a completely dead silence. I could never get used to it. I could never get used to the silence in the library. I used to go and take my books and sit in the cafeteria and do my work there just to get the noise, because I was so accustomed to having the noise in the background that that was, um, that was just something which... Uh, Uh, which was a little bit different. How much time do I have?
0: You have um, another
1: 20 minutes. I do another 20 minutes? Okay, so let's spend another 20 minutes. Let's have a look at something, um, which maybe you haven't seen before. Would you mind taking one and pass it around? Could you maybe also take one and pass it around? Maybe uh, have a third guy, maybe take one and pass it around, please. While it's being passed around, I'll give you a brief introduction. The Maharal of Prague is probably a name that you've heard of and unlikely that you've learned much of his writings. His writings are not easy to, to, to understand and you need a Rebbe to teach you. There's more text here for those people who didn't get a text. Oh, there's more at the back there. Can you give it more? Thank you very much. Let me just give you a five minute intro to the Maharal of Prague. So the morale lives in the 16th century. In the 16th century, lots and lots of changes were taking place to, to the extent that the historians call the 16th century the Renaissance period. And Renaissance means reborn, right? And the reborn in a sense, this in terms of secular culture, the whole of Europe was reborn in the, in the uh, 16th century. Everything changed. Everything, everything changed. Science changed. History, uh, geography changed. Right, they discovered America and settled America. The, the, the science changed. Uh, Galileo and Copernicus and the, the changes in the way people saw the world. Right, they said Galileo. The legend about uh, Galileo is that in the 16th century he made his own telescope because he couldn't buy telescopes. He made a telescope. He put it to his eye. He looked at the moon. And he said, wow. Maybe he didn't say wow. But he would have said wow. Mm-hmm. He said, uh, it's a rock. The moon is a rock. Who knew that? Nobody. Everybody thought, from Aristotle all the way to Galileo, everybody thought, the moon moves. If the moon moves, it must be alive. It must be a creature of some sort. Because we know the world, and only live creatures move. Inanimate objects like rocks don't move. And therefore, they believed that all the celestial uh, 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 beings were all alive. That was the belief of Aristotle. That was the belief, even among many of the Roshone, that the moon was alive, was a living being. Galileo looked at it and said, it's a rock. Suddenly the world view, everybody's world view of nature changed, everything changed. Then he had to say, well if it's a rock, how come it moves? So he had to explain, he had to devise and understand the laws of gravity, the laws of the orbit, the laws of momentum, but once something starts moving, unless there's something to stop it, it'll continue moving forever. The concept of momentum, no one ever heard any of these ideas before, complete revolution in the way the world was understood, in the way everything was understood. That was Galileo. Copernicus, don't need to tell you. Right? earth goes around the sun, until the sun goes around the earth. All this was part of the Renaissance. The world was being looked at differently in nature. In the Jewish world, there were also major, major revolutions. And Jewish people look, started looking at the world differently. I'll give you two major examples of that. The first is the Arizal in Tzfat in the 1500s changed the way we look at the world changed the way Jews look at Judaism the way Jews practice <coughs> Judaism everything was changed in the, in, in the 16th century by the Arizal Rav Moshe Kaldivero, um and other Mukubolin in Tzfat, that they taught, they taught Yisrael to to look at uh, uh, the Torah and mitzvahs through the eyes of the Kabbalah it was a complete revolution. And even our simple practice has changed, right? The fact that we start Mayriv on Friday nights with Kabbalah Shabbos, that was unheard of before the 16th century. Friday nights, people used to come together to have a Mayriv and they started with Baruchel. That's how Jews lived until the 16th century. You started with Baruchel, that was it. There was no Kabbalah Shabbat the Arizal, the Mufibolim, decided that it has to be done differently. We need to get into Shabbos, to get into the Ruach of Shabbos, we need to bring in the, the Kedusha of Shabbos, and hence Kabbalah Shabbos, the Chodeidah, Shalom Aleichem, all these things that for us are normal parts of life, all started only in the 16th century. The other major revolution in Jewish life was, of course, the Shekharach. It was, printed and, was written and printed in the 16th century, and suddenly Halacha was standardized. That's a subject for a whole different Shi'a, what a revolution that was for the, for the whole of Jewish life. So there was a lot going on in the 16th century, right? We got so Cairo the and the Ramah, and the and Arizal and, uh, in, in Tzfat, uh, the Ramah in Krakow, the rest so Cairo also in Tzfat, right? And then there was Prague. Prague was a center of secular studies, it was the capital of the Bohemian Empire, and it was also um, a center of Torah. And the Maharal created also a revolution. His revolution was how do we learn Medrash and Agada? That was his main revolution. And all his Svarin, right? He wrote about, he wrote many, many foreign, Ten of them are very famous for us the Gurariya and Rashi. Israel, Israel, uh, the Yisrael, Metzach Yisrael, the Nasibas Olam, all these different Svarim, every single one of them, without exception, every chapter starts with a Medrash Chazal. <coughs> and that Medrash Chazal means however you understand Medrash simply. And then the Maral starts drilling deeper into the words of Chazal and seeing in the words of Chazal the beauty, the brilliance, the complexity of the hashkafa of Chazal. Chazal didn't write philosophy. Instead of writing philosophy, they wrote Medrash. In the Medrash is coded into the Medrash all the principles of Jewish philosophy, rational philosophy and mystical philosophy. It's all there in the Medrash. You have to know how to read it. Again, we've just gone through partial Barashas. I'll give you just a one-minute taste of what I'm talking about. So some... Midrashim are childish when I say childish I mean they're written in a way that sounds a little bit childish the Midrash says in the beginning of Bracious, that when Akash Barakha created the world Borilakim, the letter Aleph came to Akash Barakha to complain why did you start with Torah the Torah with the base I'm the Aleph you should start with me, why did you start with the base so every thinking human being understands that that's a childish image, almost a cartoon image, right, the letter Aleph coming along and and grumbling, what's going on here? So you've got a choice here, either you can say, well, Chazal said silly things, or you can say, Chazal are using simplistic, literary style to express the most profound philosophical beliefs. What is the answer of the Medrash? I can refer answers to the Aleph, what is the answer? Anybody know? The answer is, don't worry. When it comes to Harsinai and the Aseris of I'll start with you. That's the answer to the medrash. So what is the talking about? So if you, go, so if you understand the midrashim contain very profound philosophical ideas, you'll understand that what this Midrash means is that even though b'ri'asa olom chronologically preceded Matantara, right? Even though it was before Matantara by about two and a half thousand years earlier, Briasalam. Nevertheless, Matantara was the Allah. Allah means it was the primary goal of HaKadosh Baruch, Hu, was Matantara, and the the creation of the universe was the his secondary goal. So the secondary goal, a bit like the peel around the fruit the main goal of the fruit is the fruit but the peel you come to first you first come to that which is secondary in significance but primary in chronology and that's what's happened here with the aloe and the base. so this is just a very small simple example about how Medrash means much more than it does at first sight the Maral was a genius and completely revolutionized our understanding of Bidroshim and Chazal. What I brought you here is a few l- lines from the Sib Torah. Can you see this uh, page in front of you? The Sib this is actually photocopied on both sides, but I'm looking at page one. So the Sib he's looking at the difference between the secular wisdom and Torah wisdom. And he starts off with the, bracha, with the Gemara Masechus brachas. There's a bracha you make if you meet a Nobel Prize winning scientist. If you meet a world class scientist, you make a bracha. You say, you, you wish him, you say hello. You say, it's nice to meet you. And then you say, Baruch HaTar Hashem, And then you And then You praise our Kaddish that he has given an abundance of wisdom and knowledge to human beings. But, says the Gemarion Baruchos Nunches, For Horoya Chachma Yisrael, if you see a great Talmud Chacham, if you meet somebody who is one of the Godei Hadar, you say, Now the word Chachma appears both in one bracha and in the other bracha. In other words, there is chokhmah of Torah and there's a chokhmah of secular sciences, right? But the difference is Umar hefrish ben zelazek asks in line three, umah hefrish yesh ben zelazek yiloshan Nasino mashma ainu min etzem achokhma shiel hashem ispar. With regards to the scientists, it's shenossan mechokhma. Hashem gave him a gift. A gift is something you give, which is you're not, you're not giving yourself. <coughs> you're giving something external to yourself. It's simply a gift, which you're giving to a... a, a the recipient receives something, an item, which you want to give him as a, as a favor. But he says, I'm in the fourth line, I'm in the fourth line, Baruch who gave them wisdom to understand the physical world to understand the science the chemistry the physics the botany the medicine of the physical functionings of the universe the the brias the gogmas habayray is in the bria and inside the bria is all the wisdom the wisdom of right the which is which is revealed by science but it isn't HaKadosh Baruch thought patterns. This comes back to the point I mentioned earlier. The Torah, HaKadosh Baruch is giving you HaKadosh Baruch Hu is giving us in the Torah, listen to this, a Chelek of His wisdom. That's a different gedda completely. That's a different definition. He's not giving us Oh, a, a wisdom which is external to him. He's giving, it, giving it us in some sense, and again, when have to say Kaviyocho, we don't quite know what it means, but there's something about the, the wisdom of the Torah, which is a chelek eloikat nima, which is a chelek of HaKadosh That's what he's giving us, shecholak and, and the end of the bracha is also interesting. He, he doesn't give it Leboso Vadam, he's giving it Liyureyot, in other words, Reish is And in order to acquire the Chachma Selakim, one needs a certain element of Yir and that Yir qualifies you to absorb some of those ideas, which are not just academic ideas. They are ideas which are, as he writes here, what's his language here? Look in the last line of the first paragraph, Abel Yishon ho Ho'Elyona Ho'Elukis. The Chokhmah that we are getting, which we find in the Mishnah, in the Gemara, in the Tanakh, in the writings of Gedoli Yisrael, is not an academic Chokhmah. It's a Chokhmah or a kiss. It's the ultimate, elevated, spiritual wisdom. And that's what I'm skipping to the third paragraph. A famous Medrash, which some of you might have heard before. If people tell you that the, the, the umos haolam, the nations of this world, are people who have great wisdom, they've got chokhmah, tamin, you can believe that. etc., etc. Et if someone will say to you the goyim, that the, the, the non Jews, the non-Jewish world, they have understood Torah, Altan. because Torah is about what? It's about avodat Hashem, as your Rosh said. It's about Cholak <laughs> mechachmosa It's about coming close to HaKadosh Baruch It's about what HaKadosh Baruch says to Abraham Avinu in this week's parashah, It's the Brisi Be'ni'o Ve'necha, which is the, the kesha, which is the connection, the all-important connection, and that is unique for Klal Yisrael. So the non-Jews can study Jewish studies, and indeed there are many non-Jewish people who do study, if you ever go to Oxford, there's the Oxford Centre of Jewish Studies. And in the Oxford Centre, it's, it's an Oxford Postgraduate Centre of Jewish Studies. If you ever go there, most of the students there are not Jewish at all. It's not a Jewish place. They're non-Jews. It, it, it's a non-Jewish enterprise for studying texts, Talmudic texts, and uh, Mishnahic texts, one sort or another. They're, they're engaged in the academic practice of Jewish studies. They're not engaged in Talmud theory. Talmud is Shecholak mechachmosoi That's what the Gemara says. And this is what the Maral is particularly interested in. Then he goes to the Rambam. I just want to leave you with, with paragraph 5, which is interesting. The Maral was very impressed with science and scientists in the 16th century. And there are many <coughs> legends about his connection with some astronomers, there was one fellow called Kepler, who was an astronomer astronomer in the 16th century. There was someone else called Breher, B-R-A-H-E, who was an astronomer, where well, there are legends about the Maral, spending time with them and studying the astronomy of the 16th century. He even had an audience, which tells you something interesting, with Emperor Rudolf. Emperor Rudolf was the emperor of the, of, of the Habsburg Empire, which was ruled over the whole of Central Europe at the time. And he wanted to speak to the Maral because he heard the Maral had a Chachma which was worth his while uh, listening to. But the Moral mar- so says here in paragraph 5, everybody with me? And with this I'll finish. The Imkeim, he says, nire. we can conclude from this piece of Gemara, Kiyesh Lilmod you should study secular studies. It's important to study secular studies. Secular studies, and he'll, as you'll see, I haven't got time to go through the whole thing at the moment. He's talking about science. He wasn't so happy about learning humanities because he felt humanities already contains values which clash with Torah values. Okay, that's already a subject for debate and discussion, or whatever. But he says, the having learned from this Gemara in Brachas, which says you make a Bracha, and also make a make the Clearly, this is chokmah because the Baruch Baruch put into the Briya, He put the laws of nature, which also reflect the mind of God to a certain extent. This was God's intention, and therefore, a knowledge of them is, is valid knowledge. Nevertheless, He says your name. Engagement should be in Talmud Torah. So, those of you who are planning a, a future in science, the study of science, or whatever it is—medicine or any different type of science—the morale says yes, it's a mitzvah to learn the Chokmas Habore, which is coded in to the natural world. But your main energy should still be put into Torah. Biyeshka Raya, etc., etc., etc. Okay, I'm a bit short on time. Turn over the page for a second. But there is something here I want to show you. The last two paragraphs on page two, he still says it's very interesting. He's writing this 500 years ago in the 16th century. The Maral is telling his students, yes, it's fine. to Supplement your Torah studies with a knowledge of science, because science is also is the wisdom of Kodesh Baraka implanted in nature. But he says, I've still got this problem, he says. And this is a problem is amazing. It's such a contemporary problem. How can you allow yourself to go to the lecturers in Prague University right? and to listen to science from them? They're all apicarsin. And not only are they they're immoral people. You'll be badly influenced simply by your contact with the Scientists, right? they have great. They have great knowledge, but not great morals, and not great emunah. Kemoshi es <laughs> whole subject he deals with. The emaya allowed himself to the entire from acha, even the acha had become an apikares. So then he says in the second line, mina So he gives a hat here, the a famous hat of the maral. He says. Don't go and learn personally from the scientists of today. They are all Apicorosim and Manuvolin and people you don't want to be influenced by. Just read their books. If you read their books, you get their Chokhmah without having a Kesher. with them. It's a mirror image, if you like, of what we said before about Talmud Torah. When you're learning Torah, a key to learning Torah is your Kesher with the Rebbe because the Rebbe is transmitting to you the Midas, the Emunah, the Yerushalayim, and the problem that you will all experience at one point or another when you go to college, as I did. You'll meet incredibly brilliant, knowledgeable professors and teachers, and they will be imparting to you knowledge, and at a certain point you'll realize that as human beings, some of them are really... I'm not quite sure what word to use politely, but they're not people that should be a role model for you. They live moral lives. And they're also apicorosim. And sometimes they're very uh, cruel and, and egomaniacs of various sorts. They've never worked on their midas, they've never worked on their emunah, they've, they've never had your shamayim. But you're getting knowledge from them. So in the academic world, it's purely knowledge. Incidentally, when the right when the morale says you can learn from their books, you must understand that books was the new technology of the 16th century. They'd never been printing before, everything was all manuscripts. Suddenly, there were books. The impact of that on Europe was roughly equivalent to the impact of the internet on the world in in our century. Suddenly, learning was available at a level that had never been imagined before. Imagine every town or every, vill- every village had maybe half a dozen manuscripts owned by wealthy people, maybe a few manuscripts here and there. Suddenly everybody had on their desk a book, a seifert. Everybody had sfirah. This was unheard of and un- un- unthinkable beforehand. Says the, says the Marao put your main efforts into Talmud Torah. Because that is the chokhmah and the that is the wisdom of God, and I'm telling you, it comes in three flavors: vanilla, chocolate, and strawberry. Right? There's chuke there's Lahobin or lahaskil, and there's vahoyer in service. Every shia you go to should be you should be able to tick at least one of those boxes, maybe more. And if you can, then it's been a good experience. If you can't, it's been a waste of time. But this is the process of Talmud Teira, and you've all had the privilege of coming to one of the magnificent centers of Talmud Teira here in this in Eretz Yisrael and in the world. Make the most of it. Absorb the, <laughs> the <laughs> Chokmas Learn the Chukkayim. Absorb the Svaros and the Hovin al Haskil, and more than anything else, allow the the light of the Torah. Into your minds, into your neshama, and he rots and the priest God, all of you should be transformed by your learning experience, and every one of you can become a transmitter of Torah to your families, to your society, to wherever you're going to continue to after this yeshiva, and Bez Hashem. We should all meet again and learn more tyrant together and good health for many years to come. Thank you,
0: Rabbi Kimchi, for a share that certainly checked all those boxes. (laughs)